Welcome to the Explaining Albania podcast with me, Alice Taylor. I'm delighted today to be joined by Flora Ferrati Saskenmayer, a researcher, academic and human rights activist. Flora is Albanian. Her family come from both Kosovo and the Preševo Valley in the south of Serbia. Now, for the past 20 years, she's divided her time between the US and Germany. Now, we're here today to talk about the plight of ethnic Albanians in the Preševo Valley in southern Serbia. This is an issue that we at Exit and Flora in her capacity as a researcher have done our utmost to draw attention to. Now, Flora, can you just start by introducing yourself, telling us a bit about yourself, and then we'll move on to the issue at hand. Well, thank you very much for having me, Elise. Um, I would like this way to greet all our listeners, wherever in the world they may be. So as you introduced me, I am a researcher. I've been um, doing research in the field of conflict resolution, transitional justice and peace building. For the past six years, I was stationed mainly at the Max Planck Institute for the study of ethnic religious uh, diversity here in Germany at the University of Göttingen. And one of the areas of my study, let's say, is also the Balkans, partly because I have certain interest in the region and partly because it, um, you know, all the developments there fit very well with my general interest in conflict resolution, peace building and transitional justice processes. So I am not only from, you know, someone who has family roots in Kosovo and from southern Serbia and Pressure Valley. I'm someone who's actually been doing research in this part of the world and writing about it ever since I got my PhD. So while um, now we, you know me more, I would say in Albania and elsewhere recently for my work uh, about the issue of deregistration of permanent addresses of Albanians, which is leading to statelessness for them. Um, but uh, maybe so we can start the conversation from there, if you wish. Yes. So you you published um, a couple of years ago with Exit a... Yeah. I, uh, an immensely shocking story. I mean, it was it caused quite a lot of waves, um, and it was essentially that a large, um, I'm not going to say minority, but a large population of this Preševo Valley in southern Serbia, who are ethnic Albanians, are being forced out of their homes, their jobs, their lives because of certain decisions taken by the Serbian government administration. Can you start from the beginning? How did you stumble across this issue? Well, right. So, you know, before I even wrote this piece in English for Exit back then, um, I was traveling to the region. I was doing research for one of my books, which deals with inter-ethnic reconciliation efforts in Kosovo and Serbia. So I was traveling through Serbia and I went back to my family hometown in Medvedja. Now, I knew very well what was life like there in the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. So let's say since the downfall of Milosevic and after the end of the Kosovo War, somehow the position of the Albanian minority really was not on the radar, not only of the international politics anymore, but also of the Kosovo Albanian media leadership. Somehow um, there was a an total institutional neglect, if you will. Mm-hmm. One just didn't, uh, one was so consumed with what was happening in Kosovo, with the process of consolidation of the state of Kosovo, and integration of minorities, and that one forget actually what's happening just 60, 70 kilometers east of the border of Kosovo, which is kind of strange because if you think of it historically, um, there is no form of discrimination that uh, Albanians, 
in Kosovo experience that didn't that Albanians in Serbia didn't experience. There were so many parallels and continuities. And when I remember in 2015, I just had had my son. I was new mom, overwhelmed with my research, finishing up my PhD, traveling there. And I, I knew some of the families. I knew some of the local activists and, and politicians. And one of the words that they used to me at that time was that they are deleting us. They are mm-hmm. deleting us. And this was the word that really started to get into my mind, what they meant by it. Who is deleting you? And they always came up with the, in conjunction with the Ministry of Interior of Serbia, they said they are deleting our addresses and they are refusing our state IDs, passports. So I began to pick up the topic slowly and to talk to the activists and people, and first in Medveja, because I sent that something was not, um, you know, it was could not be legal that the citizens mm-hmm. of the country were treated like this. And, and the... I, I started then, it was at that time, some, um, you know, municipal councillors that were trying to raise this issue with human rights organizations in Serbia and tried to bring this issue to Kosovo. But then I started doing research on this. I started reading about the law. I started talking to the people who were affected uh, by, by it. And uh, I'm really, and I, I remember clearly being shocked, not only by the discri- you know, discrimination that they were being exposed to, because people were left without IDs, they were yes. not being able, they were losing their health care. They were going Which to the police stations um, because, you know, and saying, no, you don't actually live here. You live in Kosovo or you spend the time abroad. So you cannot, we cannot uh, recognize your residents. They were saying to citizens of Serbia this. They were saying to a particular ethnic group. So the... Um, When I wrote that piece, um, I realized that the authorities, especially the Serbian Ministry of Interior, had was working very coordinated manner with other institutions because they were giving citizens all the Albanians the same answer. So this is how it was kind of very detective work that I did, almost an investigative report Mm -hmm. um, that I made up, and then you know, then so that's what I've been doing. It it became really one of the main my kind of research projects, and I'm just finishing a scholarly article on this, which will come out soon. Uh, yeah, based on this three-year study project. So, for for the people listening, the the Serbian government, how exactly are they taking away? How are they going about this deregistration process? What's the basis that they're using for this? Well, yeah, so it's very important to understand because this is legally very tricky made, but because they're abusing the law, it's kind of more difficult for people to understand what's happening. But three, there are three essential three aspects to it. First, every country in the world has a law about residence. This is not mm-hmm. something unique about Serbia. But there is no country in Europe nowadays that abuses with the law of residence to target a special group with the aim of changing ethnic composition. And this is how they are doing it. The law gives the right to the court or to the Ministry of Interior specifically or to another legal official person to verify the fact of residence. That is, to see if someone really lives in the address mm-hmm. where they claim to live. What they're doing, though, and they are not, on, not only by and large, I came to study, you know, from my study in Preshev and Buenos especially, not that they were never going out to verify this residences. They were claiming that they verified the residents, put this information that people simply were not found in their homes, and they were passing this information to the um, uh, electoral commission, first at the municipal level, and the municipal level sent it to the central level, 
which is the electoral commission is in state, but in Serbia, that generally is the electoral list. So you have a problem. The first step is they are contestants, people's residents, people who have lived there, who mm-hmm. they are treating them basically as a foreigner. Um, yes. So if a citizen cannot have a job, of course they are entitled to move somewhere to work. So the law, you don't find this in there, but this is what they're doing in practice. Second, I came to understand uh, um, that they're not issuing them written decisions that their address had been pacified. So from the, mm-hmm. from the perspective of the Ministry of Interior, these Albanians simply do not exist there. They are not found there. And let me just give you an example. So in the municipality of Medveje, which is located really 63 kilometers east of Pristina, in my study with 500 pacified Albanians, I only 20 of them were issued a written decision that they were pacified. So this is really low number. And if you read this, I, I studied each one because I speak the language and they are written in Cyrillic. Um, not in Albanian, which is a mm-hmm. local white, by the way. Um, there's something striking about it. First, they're saying uh, they're hiding one major discrimination. That is, they are not saying in this written decision that they refuse these people IDs. So you go there and you say, I am here, I live here. They say, no, we came to verify your address because we didn't find you here. Um, and then you say, well, I needed a written decision. They say, no, what do you need it for? You say, I mean, go to court. <laughs> I need to go somewhere else. And they say, well, no, this is information online, what I'm giving you, or at least not. And then you say, well, I need this so I can go and renew my ID. No, we have to come to verify your residence. So in the villages of Medveja and Buenos, I know many families personally, like I'm talking to you, who have been more or less for a year living in their residence, waiting that the police will come and verify if they live there because they come unannounced, so to speak. Yes. So re- they're really criminalizing their own citizens. And this is a huge problem. So they know what they're doing. The Ministry of Interior is the primary institution who's doing that. Um, and they know what they're doing because they're not uh, putting in written that the citizens are yes. being refused IDs. And they're not doing that because they know this is not constitutional. So they're hiding the traces. And this is what I wrote about back then. In my and to prevent work. people from, from being able to appeal or lodge yeah. legal action or anything. Yes. And then um, so the international community at that time, then we approached because I, I know I was kind of studying this, I spoke to lawyers, we put up a team together to collect the evidence. And mm-hmm. I, I remember that was in March 2019. So the Albanian politicians uh, in the valley don't have experience with doing research or something like this. This is like d- discriminate, you know, this is like investigating hidden racism. Uh, they don't know where to begin. No. They don't even have the voter list. You know, they were a little bit clumsy in that sense that they didn't pay attention to how the voter lists mm-hmm. were, you know, were dwarfing over the years. And when I did research and um, I, I got the data from the Electoral Commission, the Central Electoral Commission in Serbia, and I was I was shocked, I remember, to find out for, that uh, between 2012, which is shortly after this law enters into the force, residence to 2018, in a municipality with merely 7,500 people, they had removed 3,860 wow. people from the voter list. Wow. So this is huge. So, and from I mean, them... And, right. and in the context of, a, of an election, that's, you know, that could t- determine someone who gets a seat in the local municipality, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. So the number, so together, and this is very important to understand, this is not just, because this is what the Serbian officials like to say to the international community, which I know they also like to say this in Brussels, we're just implementing the law. No, they're not implementing the law. They're abusing the law. And mm-hmm. we know by now that nowhere in Serbia, uh, as in the Albanian territory, populated territories are the numbers so high of suspended addresses. And nowhere are the numbers so high as in Preshovo Valley of people being purged from the voter list. Now you can say, so, so what do we make out of it? Very clearly, in 2012, which is months really after this law enters into force, the Serbian Progressive Party had only 12.5% of the votes in Medvedia. So mm-hmm. they were not even the third biggest party. By 2019, they are winning 65% of the votes. Yeah, and because the they got rid of all the right. other people. Right. <laughs> and so the, the, the Albanian, uh, the Albanian uh, municipality uh, councillors dropped, the number dropped from eight to three. And we will have next election in April, and I'm following mm-hmm. very closely. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see, to, I don't, the compassivization didn't stop. President Vucic spoke in July 2021. He gave an interview in which he said there are only 300 uh, Albanians left. And so, which is really, really uh, total, you know, this. And so, that was one aspect to understand what the numbers with this mental numbers, they have tried very hard to hide their numbers. And they, they don't give this to the OSC first, they don't make the voter list open, but we do have them. I mean, I was able to investigate this and, you know, there were some responsible counselors who kept track of them. So we do have the list. We can t- tell exactly who whom they removed from the voter list in this municipality. And basically, this is illegal. Mm-hmm. I, let me just say that Article 17 says of the law and residence of Serbia, I pulled out for you, it says, if citizen isn't entitled to an ID and doesn't have a registered residence in Serbia, a citizen is someone who is born and raised there mm-hmm. or in Serbia by the virtue of having citizenship, he says he has heard this, this a decision to issue them ID is a must for the authorities. And this can be, um, uh, you know, uh, determined by a decision for the purpose of obtaining an ID. So that even the law doesn't say anywhere you should refuse your citizen's ID. And I have had in my own immediate family members where um, only the handicapped people have they passivized from the entire family. And this is really a crime of the crimes. And I'm very sorry to say that the, that even the Kosovo media, uh, Kosovo Albanian media, the mm-hmm. media in Albania have been very indifferent to the suffering for a long time. And which brings me to the next point. So passivization is picking up speed at a time when Kosovo and Serbia are supposedly reaching a historical agreement. And I found evidence that Albanians from the Preshovo Valley had reported to the authorities in Kosovo at that time about what's happening, about the humanitarian effects of it, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then political dimensions. And they just silenced this. Because, you know, it's a hard time. You cannot say Vucic is a good guy and accuse him of ethnic cleansing. Was there an agreement behind the scenes about it? I don't know. But I can tell you that there was effort, systematic effort, to change ethnic composition at the time when Kosovo authorities were saying, we're going to incorporate Preshovo Valley into Kosovo. So let's talk about this, The because this was going to be my next question, is the humanitarian impact. So just so we're clear, these people, if they're deprived of ID 
or a passport, which I believe is also illegal under international law to make yes. someone stateless. Um, this means that these people cannot vote, which is a right, cannot get healthcare, cannot get a job, cannot send their children to school, cannot participate in any way in society, cannot ask for state benefits, cannot get a mobile phone SIM card, I imagine. Yeah, there right. is absolutely nothing they can do. Um, and this, I mean, this is this is horrific. And I really want to understand from you, having spoken to these people sort of on the ground, because as you said, this is something which is glossed over. What impact does this have on a family? A huge and, and, and an average Albanian um, family in Pereshova Valley lives in a very precarious situation. And I say this not to beat the drums of ethnic nationalism here, but because we have the facts. They are, uh, they are a more, this is an apartheid state-like situation. As you've probably seen this new studies now that came out from the Albanian National Council, where you can see that in all state-owned institution, and, um, you know, when it comes to justice, police, to the, uh, state-owned enterprises, they in the municipality like uh, Presheva, where they comprise, comprise more than 90% of population, they are a minority. So they are virtually mm-hmm. being pushed away from the public sector. Now, if you have such a number, high number of young people have to leave, an average Albanian from Presheva Valley doesn't go to study in Belgrade and Niche, it's still very difficult to be an Albanian there. You have to come to terms with lots of stereotypes, so the, the news is really harsh. It is dangerous to say you're an Albanian in some parts of Serbia. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I tell you this from my experience who's traveled there through the country, not in the cosmopolitan centers, but it's still, a, you have to be brave to go to study at the University of Belgrade as a Serb, as an Albanian from the Valley, because uh, they don't, do not distinguish in their mental maps of stereotypes, of loyalty, of how they, they don't, distinguish between Kosovo Albanians or their own citizens. So there is this complete denial of that. And then what means that most of young people head to Albania, Macedonia, or Kosovo. So the young people are leaving and the parents are le- behind them. And so you have in one family, basically often three persons with very different legal status right now in, in Serbia. And and what you were saying, just, just a quick point, I was in Belgrade, um, in September or October, I think. And I, you know, it was a nice place. People were very friendly and everything. Yeah. But I, I mean, there were on the main roads, there were Serbian flags everywhere, like huge mm. hanging from the side of the, I was in a restaurant and they were the table next to me, there were some musicians and they were singing songs about Kosovo. And, yeah. you know, I was thinking if I was Albanian, this would be pretty intimidating for me you know this very sort of nationalistic environment that's that's there it seems quite hostile uh, you know especially someone coming from the pressure of a valley yes it's absolutely i mean i i i I can tell you that uh, you know locally speaking the albanians and serbs do not have lots of problems because they have been living side by side for a long time so in typically in Medvedja and Bujanovic, even at the height of the war, the local Serbs, the neighbors, they really were nice. They as simple as that. They work together. Mm-hmm. They need the Albanians because you know they usually bring sometimes money from abroad. They build their houses. They have some small stores, um, and they know each other because Albanians have a very very long historic presence in this region. So. Let's say in my family, I would know the Serbian neighbors in three generations behind, not only in one, but in three. 
So there is certain trust, but also they cannot go against the state. So the state institutions are the problem. Mm-hmm. And they they paralyze also the community. So now many Serbs are shocked to find that their Albanian neighbors are finding themselves in this impossible situation with documents because no, we know, for example, that their brothers or sisters that are in Italy or in Germany or Switzerland, you know, the unemployment um, rate is very high. Serbia has effectively diverted any kind of international investment from the south. So many Serbs are living too. I can tell you, uh, many of the families whose sons live in Leskovac, Nisho, Belgrade. So we know each other very well. And because mm-hmm. we know each other very well, we don't have this kind of ethnic intolerance toward each other, but much rather understanding of economic, political dimensions. And still, if there would be a protest tomorrow, organized in the name of community. I'm not sure how many Serbs would dare to go to the streets because, the, you know, it's a, it's, this is a Vucic era and we really are de facto back to the Milosevic kind of political climate like that with media controlling you, with scapegoating, with uh, accusations. And so this is a very difficult situation mm-hmm. and I hope, you know, it will not be able to go to the point where the dissatisfaction is so go- so big that the community will break down uh, under this political pressure. And let's talk a bit about international reactions. So I read recently that the OSCE had visited the area and not met with any of the local Albanian community, um, which I found staggering. Like, I I don't understand how that could, who thought that would be a good idea. But, you know, it seems that, and I wrote an article about this recently, that you know, the, the international community are extremely outspoken on what Kosovo has to do to keep yes. Serbia happy, like the Association of Serb Municipalities, for example. However, when it comes to what is essentially ethnic cleansing by means of administration in the Preševo Valley, no one says a thing. Yeah. Well, I'm... I, I can assure you, Elise, that I've been talking to hundreds and hundreds of diplomats, uh, international diplomats, both in Serbia and in Brussels and in my home country here in Berlin. Um, and it's really strange atmosphere because we I remember going in 2019, we had high-ranking meetings at the U.S. Embassy and my German embassy, at our embassy, the German embassy in Belgrade and with the OSC back then. And there was really... Um, I, I went to those meetings with ID. I followed a municipality councillor from Edveja, and they had known a little bit about my work. So I, I went to the meeting thinking, you know, they have no idea what, but what's happening. No, they did know what about what's happening. And my impression was that there were two groups of international diplomats on this issue. One is that who totally on purpose wants to ignore what's happening. So they would say to me, oh, the Albanians can never really show that they are being, you know, ethnically cleansed. And I would say, what, because they have no facts. And I say, what facts? Because the state ministry of interior is not so dumb in Serbia to give you facts to show that they're ethnically cleansed in the area. And they would say, well, and, you know, and we would give them the numbers that many people have been deleted from the voter list. And this is really having huge impact when it comes to political representation of the Albanian. And they would say, yes, but from this 3,890 people, Dr. Ferrati, how many of them are Serbs? How many of them Albanians? So they really give sending impossible questions back. In other words, and there was a group I remember once, he said to me, you know, you have to approach to be careful because 
you need to, to make this really first and foremost an economic issue. There was nothing economic issue about what was happening. This was really, you know, that's how careful they were to approach um, Vucic and uh, and Dacic back then, and Stefanovic, who was Minister of Interior, who was the guy responsible for this. I'm convinced. Um, they, I, we clearly asked for them to create an independent commission to give us money to do research about this. We knew what was it. We could extract as social scientists. We were trained to study hidden racism, open forms of racism. To, to, we could do this study. There was really zero willingness to help the Albanians in this regard. But there was an international group, and I remember really being surprised when we first said that we would be working with the Helsinki for Human Rights a committee for the human rights in Serbia. And there was a German diplomat who said to me, well, Dr. Ferrati, but you know, they don't get things always right. They have criticized sometimes which is government about things that, um, you know, you would never think that it was quite like this. So I really realized that there was this kind of appeasement policy um, and at the same time, but there were a group who thought, especially in Brussels, a number of MPs with whom I also ended up having very regular exchange late in the letter, who were not like that, who asked the ambassador of Serbia to Belgrade questions, told them to give reports about what was happening. And it was the first time that they were doing this. You know, So basically, the Albanians from southern Serbia establishing links to Brussels, this is not Kosovo doing it. This is, by the way, not Albania doing this. They are not receiving the Albanians any support from their own government. And, uh, and this is really strange. So to be fair in my criticism of the international community at that time, in the period 2018 to 2020, uh, it was just as difficult to lobby among the international diplomats to get support, to get them to listen to us, as it was difficult to get uh, support and to have our own governments to listen to us. So that is the Albanian and Serbian governments. They just didn't want to help us. I wrote countless numbers of diplomatic cables. One after at some point, I just stopped responding to them because the governments were changing so fast. Uh, and they never took any concrete action. So you can say international community didn't do a lot, but another way to think about it is to say, what did Albania and Kosovo do at that time? I mean, the very first, official statement of another high-ranking Albanian official condemning this is Vyosa's money after my article appeared in Exit. I believe it was in May 2020. Imagine, for nine years this is happening. So that says all. You, I mean, it, it really, it really concerns me. You know, this is, okay, this is maybe a different form of ethnic cleansing, but it yeah. still is ethnic cleansing. And yeah. the fact that people are willing to put politics or in the case of the EU stability <laughs> above something so serious at this it makes you wonder where do they draw where would they draw the line you know if this was to escalate or to be repeated somewhere else you know where what's the point where they would actually step in and say this is no longer this is not acceptable this cannot continue you must stop doing it this is what concerns me yes well, I mean, we know that there is this kind of double standard. So that when it comes to the Balkans in general, um, and I say even as a German citizen, <laughs> we are imposing standards and showing a degree of tolerance toward governments that we would never show here at home. So this is kind of a way of balkanizing the region, as Maria Todorova would say, to say they are kind of helpless in their strifes and to un-Europeanize them. 
And but there are different ways to help it. I think I've encouraged our diplomats when I spoke to them here in Germany, who shown some interest about the issue all the way up to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to say, listen, we have, we know, we have different formulas that work for the European Union. We have to go and give these ideas. For example, in this case, it's very simple. There is no trust in the Serbian institution to resolve this problem. The data mm. is out, the facts are out, the courts cannot, there's no, not such a thing as an independent judiciary in Serbia, really. I mean, mm-hmm. after all these years, the, uh, the, the ombudsman person, ombudsman for, in Serbia has not even issued a statement issue. This is scandalous. So they, you could make pressure uh, enough to create some kind of independent commission to go and say, let us go investigate and do this because Kosovo will have to react to this. Kosovo will react to passivization and might even adopt a reciprocity measure. Um, and this that means the problem is here to stay. But as you might agree with me, perhaps um, my impression is that uh, the international community always reacts too late and only when they have to. So when it comes to the ongoing depopulation campaign of Albanians in Serbia, which ultimately has the goal to change ethnic composition in the South and make Albanians leave in the next 10 years, I think the goal is very simple to, for the international community in general is to get involved as much as the situation requires. If the Albanians are to protest more, to block the roads, to rebel more, they will get involved. If... Kosovo and Albania especially don't pick up an issue. And I mean, and passivization continues. We are probably very less likely to see them being active in resolving this issue. So if nothing happens, you think the situation will continue and eventually the, the area will be pretty much completely depopulated yes. of Albanians? Yes. Well, it will because you have three aspects of it. So they are, they are passivizing, quote-unquote, they're spending the addresses and with that all the right mm-hmm. to vote, the right to get IDs, so that all those who are living there. There is an intergenerational passivization going on. This is what I wrote, wrote not so much in the public, but I do pick up this issue in my uh, journal article, which I wrote on the topic, which is an academic study. Um, and what I argue there is that all Albanians, children of Albanians from Preshevo Valley who are born in Kosovo, are entitled to get Serbian citizenship. The law allows for it because by the virtue that one of the parents is born in Serbia. But the Serbia mm-hmm. doesn't give them because a passivized parent means passivized child. So you can see how they keep de- depreciating the numbers of the Albanians in that sense too. They're passivizing uh, people who are in diaspora, which have left to study and which have done it in accordance with the law. Because the law says if you live longer than 90 days outside of Serbia, you register it. But this doesn't mean they have to delete you from all the civil registry. It doesn't mean you cease becoming a citizen. Is oh, right. it? You know? and, but they're doing that too. So they're blocking diaspora from going back there. And they are not recognizing the degrees of the young people. So you have a brain drain going on. So all the Albanians, most of them who study in Kosovo and Serbia, their diplomas are not recognized in Serbia. So you can see this is a, a war on, on different levels in France. And uh, so you have uh, lots of houses. I know there's ongoing registration of the property of the Albanians in Serbia, which I think is a good idea uh, to keep it. But I, I mean, you have lots of houses now that are standing alone. And this is the second biggest wave of the violation of the Albanians in the modern history there. The first occurred in 2000. 
1999-2000, when the uh, armed conflict took place in between Uchipemebu and Yugoslav forces, and where more than 20,000 Albanians were forced to flee in the context of a conflict. So the Kosovo, until today, the Kosovo politicians never speak of them as refugees, as displaced people. They're just people who arrived in Kosovo, which is really a distortion of history. Yes. So as Serbia is over-politicizing the position of its minority in Kosovo and all fronts. Albanians are neglecting in the position of Albanian minority in all fronts. And that's why there is no this alert, let's say, that, oh, if people who are in Kosovo are being pacified, but we're pacifying refugees who were displaced in the context of conflict. Mm-hmm. If we don't suspend their addresses, they will never be able to return to their homes. What do we do with their property? So there are all these kind of levels. Um, but I think uh, there is a need to sit at the table uh, with confidence, with facts, and to speak in Brussels, in Berlin, in Prishna, in Tirana mm-hmm. about what's happening. We have good examples, and uh, I think there's no reason to hesitate to do that. I agree. So if, let's say, people from those areas were listening to this podcast, we can hope that perhaps they are, that would be your call to them. Yes. To sit around the table and to find a solution to this situation. Yes. As I said, we do have a voter list. We can see how many thousand people they have removed. We know who these people are by name. We, you know, if you look at the voter list, you have the name of a citizen, their unique register uh, number, mm-hmm. which is given to you upon the birth in the country. We have their residence. So now I hear that Vulin, Serbia's infamous minister of interior, who likes to refer to Albanians as shiptars, mm-hmm. he is given apparently instruction to even delete these numbers, which means that the ultimate, then there's no way you can recover and claim anything in Serbia. You can delete now with a, you know, with a button, even the last remnants of you having died to that country. But he's, I don't think that's a good idea. He's shooting himself in the foot because we have records of it, you know. Of <laughs> and, and um, you know, there are so many ways nowadays. And if one Albanian wants to help, they can help the Albanians to file a complaint at the European Court for Human Rights. I think there's plenty of evidence. So that's one. There are lots of liberal civil groups in, in Serbia who have been very outspoken. And the Albanian media hasn't so much picked up on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to summarize that in my studies, but there are some really, um, let's say, responsible and open Serbs who want to talk about this, who have been talking about this, that their mm-hmm. citizens are being, you know, removed from the voter list and that they are, this is an unjust and the law is being applied selectively and this will have consequences. So you need to get them on board too. And then you need to be more active in Brussels to make this more, um, let's say, uh, what Germans say in Zichbar, to make it more visible, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, we can hope, you know, this is yeah, this is my you. plan with the podcast. I hope because yeah. it's, I, I hate to see injustice like this, you know, and I can't think of anything worse than having, you know, your home mm-hmm. and, and your ancestral land and, and it just being all taken away from you and you being powerless to defend yourself. Yes, I mean, it's, and then also I think that the, Albanians need to talk about this in a very mature way without too much emotional resentments. How come that 20 years after the end of Kosovo War, we're talking about Albanians being ethnically cleansed from Kosovo Valley and we are getting mm-hmm. all the pressure to establish an association of Serbian municipalities? Yes. Um, I mean, there's lots of also, let's say, a diplomatic rethinking, soul searching that we need to go into this place. What went wrong? 
Uh, I mean, yes. talking about human rights, no matter what ethnic or religious group is, is a responsibility of intellectuals, of media, of uh, diplomacy, of, uh, you know, we don't want anyone to be left behind in the region. I think this is a duty mm-hmm. of the young generation of Serbs and Albanians and Romas, yes. I, I also think, and I will be quite blunt, I think it's quite embarrassing for the EU that this has gone on for, what, a decade under their noses? Yes, and I mean, it is embarrassing, but uh, knowing their real politique, you know, that they have toward the region, which is that mm, double standards. stability is the priority, not necessarily human rights. This is shocking. Let's just give an example, since we're talking about the EU, and I say this, a convinced European, by the way, and I was shocked to see when, um, you know, um, Commissioner van der Leyen was just niche meeting with Vucic, which is really... <laughs> very close to Medvedja and Presheva Valley. And she gave this, you know, very cordial way of talking to him, dear Alexander, and, you know, giving them an amazing amount of funds. And they know this because, you know, European Parliament has passed a resolution which they called for independent investigation, but they still don't meet enough um, local Albanians um, um, and nor, nor the people. And I think that really, and I tell you that they have all the facts. We have I've been involved in translating some of the testimonies of the Albanians mm-hmm. in um, some of the decisions of the courts. We have a small team of academics who have been doing this, just voluntarily helping the young people because there are no institutions to assist them, not in Kosovo, not in Tirana, not in Albania, not in Skopje, not in, abroad. So this is just very much a local endeavor of uh, mm-hmm. some willing academics from us, like from abroad and some Serbian activists and local people. And I can tell you that the EU and the OSC know exactly what's happening and at every level. Um, yet, until now, we're speaking in February 2022, um, I still have to see an official and an open letter condemning this practice. So they're mm-hmm. not, the guest has, you know, so should, are you uh, advocating that Albanians should take part, boycott the election or not? Which is kind of absurd question. <laughs> the question should be, can Albanians afford to take part in this election when thousands of them have been illegally removed from the voter list? Mm-hmm. Um, can Albanians, af- you know, what is the price of Albanians boycotting uh, a local election when the state is boycotting them at the, at the, av- at the very, very level? So, Actually, you've just, you've just given me an idea. I'm going to send some questions to the commission to ask about, in the context of the upcoming elections in Serbia, whether they're aware of any steps to ensure that the people who've been illegally deregistered from voting lists in the Preshova Valley will be able to vote. Just to throw yeah. it out there to make the... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> to remind them somebody's following up. On the yes, system. somebody's yeah. watching, somebody's following. Yes, no, that's a, that's a good idea. I think I'll be curious to see um, how many more people they remove from the voter list, but we know they didn't stop. They don't want to stop because... Uh, we know probably that the idea from the outset was to not only to put pressure upon the local Albanian community there who are really not challenging Serbia in any way. I mean, not the statehood of Serbia, not the sovereignty of the country. There are, there are no political strife going on there. So this is kind of surreal. Mm-hmm. But they're using this to put pressure on Kosovo, to make Kosovo make more concessions. And so there's another way to put it is that you know, pacification is happening at a certain time. It could have happened before 2011, but no, it's happening toward the time when they're thinking, you know, 
this territorial swap, which is really was never meant to get Preshevo Valley, the prize was somewhere else. The focus was northern Kosovo and Bosnia. The Serbs would have never, ever, the current government would have never given up Preshevo. Never. That's strategically mm-hmm. too important uh, for, for Serbia, this region. And in Bujanovs, they have built the biggest military base that Serbia has. It's in Bujanovs, around the border with Kosovo. So this is highly militarized region. So for me, it's surreal to see this. What kind of yes. as Albanians are talking about territorial swap? I mean, mm. non, uh, very little has been discussed as an Albanian media. What does it mean for Serbia to give up pressure geostrategically? I mean, the, if you look at its military infrastructure, if it's if you look at its geopolitics, this is really an important knot for them. So we need to ask this question. Um, where also some Albanian governments are okay with this idea, that, you know, with Albanians leaving from there, even as they were calling upon, you know, to have some kind of land swap, allegedly. I'm, I, there's so much to me. Maybe this is just too close to our time. Some issues will come up in the future. But, uh, uh, yes, we, we, we definitely, for now, I think we should think much more about what the law is says, how the authorities are abusing with it, and how international community can help. And if Serbia, if the current government is not willing at all to listen to this, then I think we need to, Kosovo will have to play a much bigger role in it, or, or take yes. a lead in resolving the issue. Yes, I agree. Flora, thank you so much for your time. Um, it was very interesting, and but it, it makes me angry to hear that this is <laughs> happening, and particularly the indifference from Brussels and sort of other organisations. But thank you for all you do, and I hope that we can continue sort of working together to raise awareness over this issue in the future. Yes. Well, I also want to thank you very much, Alice. It was very a big pleasure to talk to you, and um, yes, I, I encourage you to keep up uh, this issue as a humanitarian issue on, on the agenda, and to keep pressing the politicians to do more about it. Thanks for listening to the Explaining Albania podcast. You can stay up to date with our latest episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Anchor FM. Be sure to follow us on social media as well for upcoming episodes and articles on Albania and the region.